Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, the Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, the Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, the Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you so much, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Good to talk to you again. Yes, so nice to be with you again this evening, Susan. Yes, Sarah Ellen and I were just together this afternoon, as a matter of fact, at noon, for a conversation with Pam Montgomery about herbs to 
help us cope with all of the things that are going on around COVID. Not herbs to help you fight off or deal with COVID, but to help you deal with all the other things that are happening because of it. Fascinating conversation. I love Pam. It was a wonderful conversation. You covered a lot of topics within that, and it was a wonderful time spent together with the two of you. Yes, and wonderful questions from people. And those um, conversations are recorded and they're available for people who can't be present at the live event to listen to later. You know, because like all human beings on this planet, my ability to gather with other human beings has been severely curtailed. And I have been trying to make up for it in some way by going to conferences online. And I have noticed that what I do is, is I sign up for the conferences for free. And then I do not go. Um, partly because I find it so not satisfying to um, watch people. But what I am finding is that I am very likely to attend things where I don't have to look at something, where I can have the person speaking as I go about doing things. Mm. So it's one of the reasons that I do teleseminars and that we haven't, you know, modernized it to be Susan and Pam talking, you know, on Zoom where you can see them and be with them. I like it that it's just voice. Yeah, I enjoy that as well. There's a big big place in my Mm -hmm. life for just voice. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy that we offer the teleseminars to people because, for me, they're always amazing conversations with people that I really admire and love. And... um, That feels perfect to me. And since I am not doing too much outside today, besides making room for myself outside, because the snow wants to take up all the room there is. Mm -hmm. Did you get snow where you are? We had a deluge of snow on Sunday. We got about 10 inches, so we've done our digging out. And, um, yeah, it's still beautiful here, but we've made our paths and we're dug out at this point. All right. You made room for yourselves. (laughs) That's right. Snow wanted to claim it all. No, 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 no. You can have most of it, but we need some places here without it. (laughs) (laughs) How much snow have you had today? Um, How much snow? Have they, do they say we got, Michael? Well, we've got between, between 8 inches and 16 inches. Between 8, eight and 16, depending on how the wind was blowing, because there was a lot of time when the snow was coming down sideways. Wow. Wow. So I so enjoy um, being told by nature, take the day off. 
I suspect, because you're calling me, that you might be an exception to that and that you would be someone who would be willing, able, and ready to take on self-care. One of the things that I talk about is setting time limits. Is is what, sorry? Is setting time limits. Mm-hmm. In May of 2017, I was diagnosed with endometrial cancer. And the standard of care is a hysterectomy, which I refused. And I used, among other things, medicinal mushrooms and poke root tincture. And which, sorry? Poke. P-O-K-E. Phytolacca Americana. As I said, among other things, but those are two that I can really highlight for you. I, needless to say, looked into a lot of ideas and techniques and substances having to do with cancer. And it came also to my own understanding, which sometimes did not square at all with what I was reading. And I realized that, well, yes, of course, the scientific tradition wants to fix. And the scientific tradition is going to fix what's wrong with you by removing your uterus. It's safe for them, simple for them. Solution to your problem. The heroic tradition would like you to think that you have cancer because you have been bad. You have eaten wrong, you have done wrong, you have thought wrong, you have been wrong, and you must clean up your act. You have been unbalanced, and you must get back in balance. And Basically, the heroic idea was that cancer was old stuck stuff, and you had to work very hard to get all that stuff unstuck. And that stuff could be called toxins, it could be emotional toxins or actual physical toxins, but you really had to like work like crazy to get rid of them. And I thought, you know, if cancer was old stuck stuff, it wouldn't be threatening. Because old stuck stuff stays old and stuck. Cancer is, in fact, the youngest, healthiest cells in your body. That's why it's reproducing like that. Because those are young, healthy cells. So from the wise woman perspective, I ask myself, what can I do to support my body's ability to deal with this that is certainly not beyond the possibility of my body to deal with this. And I chose for myself from the things that I looked into and from what was accessible to me 
a variety of different medicines, including going down to Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center and putting myself under the care of a gynecological oncologist who said to me, no one ever refuses surgery. (laughs) And I said, I understand. And what I'd like from you is I would like endometrial biopsies as often as I'd like them. I don't want to drop out of the system. I just don't want your answer. Now, as you probably know, I was able to virtually get rid of that cancer. It was never staged because I would not let them inject radioactive dye into my lymph nodes. But it was scaled on a scale of one to five. I started out at three plus, and over a period of a year and a half, with endometrial biopsies, biopsies every four to six months, as I felt necessary, I reduced that to zero, which they felt was still cancer. I then, again, my own, as with the first cancer, found another cancer located between my rectum and my vagina, and I actually wound up having to deal with that with pretty massive surgery, which did include taking my uterus, my cervix, my fallopian tubes, but not my ovaries. Mm -hmm. So at every point along the way my choice was my choice. That's what I would like to achieve. And if your choice becomes hysterectomy, it will be your choice. And we know now, very clearly, that ovarian cancer does not start in the ovaries, and there's no need to remove your ovaries. Ovarian cancer starts in the tubes. Yeah, there's not a plan to remove the ovaries at this point. There's not a plan to leave them or to remove them? To remove them. They're going to leave them for now. They are. They would leave them. They will, yes. Okay, good. I'm glad this idea is spreading. It's certainly a lot healthier for you. So at this point you well, don't actually at this point you do not actually have a cancer diagnosis. No. This is a this is a pre cancer diagnosis. And mm-hmm. I actually suspect that had I not had my next card turn up to be, oh, a different kind of cancer, that I would have been able to get rid of even a diagnosed endometrial cancer. I wasn't because all of my attention in every way had to go to the other thing because it was growing very fast. On May 8th, when they imaged it, it was 7 centimeters. On May 13th, five days later, when they cut it out of me, it was 8.7, which was a 20% 
5% increase in five days. So don't count yourself out of anything because by including everything, you can prepare yourself and keep yourself healthy and strong and flexible to meet whatever you decide is going to be the way forward. You might say, give me three months and then let's do another biopsy and see where I'm at. You might say, I can't be worried about this. I want the hysterectomy now. Or any other variation on that. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my concerns about a hysterectomy is not having a regular sexual life afterwards like a completely satisfying sexual life? I told the surgeons that I wanted my ovaries, my bladder, and my orgasmic capacity. And so they were very clear what was important to me. It was difficult and painful to have my first orgasm. Remember, they cut out the back of my vagina and stitched a piece of my living belly there to replace it. But now, nine months later, um, I would even go so far as to say that my libido is back and that um, I'm no longer making myself have an orgasm as an act of healing, but that I actually want to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's good. My anthroposophic physician looked at me and said, You know, your vagina needs copper. Because, you know, there's a lot of stitches. There's like over 100 stitches in there, and it's kind of stiff and painful. Like I say, it's like, you know, fast setting concrete. And um, it's not like that all the time, but it can get like that. Um, And she said, what you really need is copper. I'm like, copper? And she said, yes, I want you to get a copper pipe and make it very smooth, and I want you to put it in your vagina and leave it there for five or ten minutes every day. And you know, the first couple of days I did that, I could actually taste the copper. It's very interesting. So I, and then, I, always, I always like to be curious. What is life bringing me? What is life telling me? I bring myself, you know, into the presence of people that I trust, and they um, have ideas, and I follow through. We all lead charmed lives. Hmm. I made a series of videos to share what I found out about what to do when you have a cancer diagnosis, which is a course available at wisewomanschool.com. 
Okay. I will check that out, definitely. Okay. As far so, as... Of the, of the two things I mentioned, mushrooms and polka, I would say mushrooms are safe for absolutely everyone. And it's the one thing I see. You have a cancer diagnosis. Right now, start taking mushrooms any way you can. Go to the store, buy them, cook them up and eat them. Get them as tinctures, get them as powders, put them in your food. However you can get mushrooms into yourself, and the more, the better. Do it. Okay. As for the poke, it's very specialized herb, considered by some to be poisonous, which is one of the reasons I was using it. rather like herbal chemotherapy. Mushrooms are safe it's to do with any, any standard modern medicine. You can keep on taking your mushrooms. They're not herbs, and they're not supplements. They're mushrooms. Even if they're being <clears throat> sold as supplements, they're not. They're food. So you needn't mention them. If somebody says, what kind of supplements are you taking? You don't need to say mushrooms. If you're drinking nourishing herbal infusions, those are also foods, and you do not need to tell the healthcare profession that you're drinking nourishing herbal infusions. And what they want to know is what kinds of things are you taking in gelatin capsules? What kind of things are you taking in tablets? And what kind of potentially poisonous things are you taking? And potentially poisonous herbs are listed in each one of my books. Okay. Okay. I know it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in. All that I'm saying is a lot to take in. The diagnosis is a lot to take in. What you're being told has to happen and what you're having perhaps different thoughts or feelings or sensations about It was very clear that, yeah, surgery, having... that it was, surgery was not for me. I kept waking up from nightmares in which there was blood everywhere. Yeah. I just, you know, it was just, it was very clear. But that was not what I was going to do right then. And it was just as clear when it became necessary. I wish it was clear right now for me. <laughs> you don't have to act right now. You don't have cancer yet. Even if you had cancer, you don't need to act right now. There's no hurry. There's no rush. Because the surgeon said that I statistically, that those um the non-complex atypical hyperplasia that because of the size of the biopsy, if there's a 25 to 40% chance that it actually is already cancer. That means there's a 60 to 75% chance that it isn't. Is your class that full? I thought you'd say that. (laughs) 
remember they are counting on you eating what's at hand and not stirring yourself. Is that you? If you are a vigorous, active person who eats well, then you are in the 60 to 75% listing. Now, if you have some really strong, you know, inner psychic, intuitive, you know, soul sense that you need to do this and do it really fast, please don't let me get in the way. But if you're imbibing this surgeon's fear, then please let me get in the way. I had uterine biopsy after uterine biopsy. They're not horrible. Pardon me? What? Worst things have happened than to go and get a uterine biopsy. You can monitor what's happening. Yeah. Right? It's not like they even, like, cut a chunk out of you or use any, any anesthesia. There was a wonderful nurse who would always hold my hand, and I would, like, groan and carry on, and she would squeeze my hand. Does it hurt? It hurts a little bit. It's not the end of the world. It's not. It doesn't go on for long. It takes, like, maybe 60 seconds, maybe less to get the biopsy. Okay, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this conversation. You are welcome. Green blessings. Thank you. Good night. Okay, we have two more callers that have queued up with questions. Our next caller is calling from the 845 area code. You are live on the air with Susan. Okay. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. So I wanted to ask you a question about cancer, too, um, on my nose, possibly. And I remember taken a weed walk with you in Woodstock one spring and um, you were mentioning your three favorite uh, families of green goddesses <laughs> and um I do believe you said, I think it might have been a mallow, that if you crushed it up and rubbed it up, rubbed it on a spot that you thought might be skin cancer, if it turned green, then it probably was. Am I just making this all up, or 
you got you got it about twenty percent. You got it about twenty percent right. Twenty? Oh, that's that's okay. Twenty percent right. You're not far off. All right. Uh, okay. So the plant is celandine, which is Chelidonium magus. Uh, so the major is the greater. Greater celandine, correct. Also Not the less. Okay. And interestingly enough, it is an evergreen plant. I could dig down under really? all this snow and find celandine. As a matter of fact, I did one year for my birthday, February 8th, and it was a big snowfall, and I was taking hay from the barn to put on the path so that my invited guests would not slip and fall, and I jabbed a piece of hay into my eye. And I dug through the snow, got some celandine, blended it up with milk, washed my eye with it, burned like crazy. But within the hour, my eye was not red, and um, there was no pain from the injury. So I remember this story. Good. Yeah. It's good that it's available to us because it's, good story. yes, as you remember quite correctly, it's only useful fresh. A what? It is only useful fresh. fresh. You have to have the fresh celandine. And oh, you yeah. put the sap onto the suspicious area. But you and can't find the grater anywhere. It is all anymore. over the place. Chelidonium is? is the most common celandine. I see it everywhere. It's in the poppy family. It has beautiful yellow flowers. People sometimes think they're mustard flowers. Because they have four petals. But if you look, you'll see the seed pods are very different from mustard seed pods. And like most poppy family plants, it is considered pretty poisonous. So the sap, the sap, which is bright yellow when it first comes out and kind of oxidizing to orange, put on a suspicious mole or suspicious growth on the skin will frequently turn that growth black if there are cancer cells there. It's important to spread the sap around enough so that the sap is on the skin surrounding the suspicious lump so that you can see a difference. In other words, the healthy skin will stain. It will stain orange because there's a lot of coloring matter in this sap, like in, in turmeric sap, right, which stains mm-hmm. everything orange. So the the, the uh, celandine behind the chelidonia, it's the same thing. It's going to stain the skin orange, but the color of the stain is different. What I have seen is different mm-hmm. if there are cancer cells present. Would I say, oh, this is definitely cancer if it turned it dark, yes. Would I say this is definitely not if it didn't? No. I would continue to keep an eye on it. Okay. So can we take this to another level? What other level? Well, let's just say it's not cancer and it's like a broken blood vessel that likes to get inflamed and red and roar its ugly head. Then you might want to try an astringent like witch hazel. Right. 
does that do anything? Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. Which hazel calms it down? Uh, I, I like the tightening effect in the, in the winter time. Mm-hmm. And the particular thing that you're thinking might be skin cancer, how does that react when you put witch hazel on it? So happy in bulk to you. Happy spring. In bulk. Happy in bulk. Word. In bulk. In the belly. In the belly? Really? That's, that's what in bulk means. In the belly. Mm. How serpent-like. How mammalian. All the, all the mammals' pregnancies are showing. Soon it will be spring. My late grandmother appeared to me last and said, Ben like the willow. <laughs> Those were ben her last words. Yes. And I hope that you heard what I was saying to the other person, and that is if I you did. have an actual cancer diagnosis or even suspect you do, eat more mushrooms. Um. I, I think I might be in a couple of journals about the mushrooms I eat now, Susan. I I, I like my mushrooms. That's wonderful. My, tell me, tell us all, tell us about the mushrooms you eat. Well, they're in my belly right now, of course, because I ate them. Okay, <laughs> what kinds, and how did you make them? Um. Well, I like to dry sweat them in uh, a toaster oven. And get out all the liquid first. And then when I decide to cook them with a, a, a meal or of some sort of fats, then I will add them and they'll crisp up really nice that way. Mm. These sound like fresh mushrooms from the store. Um, unfortunately, with the amount of snow we have right now, yes, that's what they were. They were just agarious, agarious. It's like egg culture. Yes. Yes. The little button mushrooms. The little ones, they're so wonderful. What a lovely look. I'm so glad. I looked at an old jar of um, dried up uh, oysters, and I thought, maybe not. I think they were like three years old or something. (laughs) There's nothing they can lose over three years. They're designed to hold it. So, yeah, I've been here like 22 years now where I live. Uh Uh-huh. That's pretty wild. It's hard to imagine. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Quite amazing um, The beautiful trees Are my friends I look at them like a Beautiful painting that I never Want to never see Did I say that right? Yeah I was trying to figure out what you meant That you never wanted to never see it Since an English double negative turn into positives. In other languages, double negatives are allowed for you to say strongly no, no. (laughs) (laughs) But not in English. So I was not 
totally clear on what you really, really meant. Give it another try. I was thinking that, too. Well, I'd rather be riding a horse through the snowstorm to your house and just delivering magic goods galore, but we can't do that. So instead... I will imagine them riding here on the sound of your voice. Thank you so much. (laughs) I accept your generosity. (laughs) Good night. Bye. Good night. Great blessings. Okay, and I'd like to remind yeah, uh, like to remind all the listeners, please press one if you have a question for Susan. And our next caller is calling in from the seven two zero area code. You are live on the air with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Anna. It's good to hear your voice. Hi, Anna. Hi. Um, I have a question about Japanese not um, Okay. I had heard you at some point, I don't know, maybe in the past six months, in response to somebody who was using it for a dog, I, well, I don't know. I'm remembering you say that in doses it can be toxic. Um, and I've been allying with it more and more. Um, it seems to be really helpful for my, I have a lot of recurring tendonitis, um, and Along with other things, it seems to be really helpful. And I was just curious what, of what the issue of toxicity is, and and if using it, you know, I kind of use it on a cyclical, ongoing basis. Um, and then the other interesting thing, I when I got out here to Minnesota, and I didn't have much left this spring, and I found a bunch of it this spring, and I harvested it in the in the spring, and once it was, you know, it was already eight feet tall, and I like. My body likes that better than what I had bought that was harvested, you know, in winter and fall. And so, and I'm wondering if that will also affect the toxicity. If it, if it has less of its active ingredients, is that maybe why my body likes it better? What wonderful questions. And I think about how our male-centric world is most interested in potency and activity and how my female-centric world is more interested in nourishment and support. Right. So your body is telling you which is more nourishing and supporting for you. And mm-hmm. I, think, I, think you're, I think you're right on. I know that you can possibly... Um, find out about this because it is a plant that has had some frequent use recently and so perhaps there are uh, people who can be more specific about it. I know that what I was told was that the dose should be kept low to prevent toxicity. Mm -hmm. And I always chide myself for... um, not um, asking the next question. There are often times when people say, and, and, and I go, oh, well, I didn't ask the next question, whatever that you know, needed to be. Which would have been, what toxin? Or what, what makes it do that, right? But I didn't ask right. that question. Okay. Yeah, that was my next question. Right. So what toxin? 
Right. So you have to find mm-hmm. out and then call us back and tell okay. us. All right? Okay. We'll do. Good. Wonderful. Great. All Thank right. you. And I'm so I'm not I wish I had your snow. Oh. We have great cold here, but very little snow so far. Oh, it's, it's it makes, that beautiful, fluffy. I drove through town today, and I could not you know, prevent myself from going tisk tisk because there were about 100 people with their children out on the studding hill. <laughs> and nobody was wearing masks, but it's like, okay, guys, it's sledding. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I guess they thought it was too cold, but we'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Thanks for your call. Green blessings. You're welcome. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. Okay. If you have a question for Susan, please press 1 to let me know, and I will be able to open your line so that you can ask your question. We do have a caller from the 908 area code with a question from the 908. You are live on the air with Susan. Hi, Susan. It's Carol Raftis from New Jersey, one of the old timers. How are you? Hello. Oh, how wonderful to hear from you, Carol Raftis. Indeed, old, old timer. Wow. I remember you with such fondness. What are you up to? Yes. Oh, I'm being grandma like you did. You are. (laughs) Oh, and just um, put up my my nettle infusion for tomorrow. And um, I have been listening, but I haven't been um, speaking up. So now I am. And um, it's just glorious to hear you every week. And I go to the podcast and I listen to those at leisure times. I mean, the, the, the re-recording of this show. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So um, um, one question I have is, is there someone, I, I'm trying to get um, organized on all the various things that you have. Is there one of the apprentices that maybe uh, that I could speak to? Um, and mm, just to get um, organized because you offer so many different things. Most of the things that I offer have now been collected at wisewomanschool.com. Okay. My correspondence courses um, can be entered into there. Okay. As well as um, the, there's a few uh, written um, classes that you do online. Um, and, of course, a selection of different video courses that yeah. are online. Other than that, um, if you go to my website, SusanWeed.com, yeah. from yeah. there you can find information about my books, my apprenticeships, and my classes. Right. Here at the Wise Women Center. Right. And I would say that right. those things then basically – Cover If there's something that you want that you don't see at the Wise Woman Bookshop or the Wise Woman School um, or at my website, um, then I probably don't have it. 
Okay. And the, so those, the, are, those the, are like the three places where that information really is consolidated. If you had a particular thing that you wanted, uh, one of my virtual helpers could help you find a particular thing. Oh, okay. Okay. How and I think I the best way to do that is yeah. through a Facebook. Oh, Facebook. Okay. Because my, my okay. help is there, you know, answering people's questions and referring them to podcasts and my books and, and oh, so on. Okay. And they're very, very skilled at that. And, and the Facebook page is is what again, Susan? Probably Susan Weed. Yeah, Susan Weed. Okay, I'll get I'll get to that. Um, I don't All right. do. All right, and um, that that's great. And those cancer talks that you recorded, those would be in the Wise Woman School as well. Yes, that's the Cancer Diagnosis the Wise Woman Way. Oh, wonderful! Oh, it's so amazing. You're so amazing. I bought anyway. Um, my granddaughter, who is um, 10, going to be 11 in May, um, she has, mm, my question is, she has extremely, extremely um, dry, almost leathery kind of hands. And I think, I'm not sure with the COVID that she's just uh, washing her hands so much, but there's something else going on. Her whole body skin is, is too dry, but for the hands, I'm asking, what kind of salve or something would you put on that? Any kind of salve would help. It doesn't have to be any particular plant. Mm. Especially oh. if she puts it on before she goes to sleep. Yeah. And it puts a pair of gloves on. Yes. Kind mm-hmm. of, especially in the wintertime, there's inexpensive yeah. knit gloves. They're close. Yes. They're going to be ruined by the oil, so it's okay. You know, just you know, a couple of cheap pairs, and yes. it can be as simple as coconut oil or olive oil, or oh, shea okay. butter or mango butter or cocoa butter. Mm. It, it can have herbs in it. If you have oils mm. or butters with herbs in it, she could use emu oil, jojoba oil. Those mm. Those two oils are said to be the most like the natural oils of the skin. Okay. You know, mm. you know the Aboriginal people said that the best salves are made in kangaroo fat, but since you can't get kangaroo fat, the next best thing is emu oil. Emu, right. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah I really appreciate it. Awesome. Yes, I'm sure her um, hands will, too. Are you, do you in a situation where you could even put it on her hands? I I would hope that she'll let me. Yeah. Yeah. She's a little I mean, that, that would be my you know yeah. happy picture of it is that before she goes to sleep you anoint yeah. her hands with something. Oh, yes. And put these yes, gloves on, right, and kiss her mm-hmm. goodnight and off she goes to happy and yes. to dreamland. I know. That's so sweet. Thank you so much. You're so That's awesome. Oh. And have you I I I I know that people are asking about the vaccine. Have you put that any any statements about that on the in the Wise Woman School or uh, or is it just basically on the phone on this call phone that you discuss that? I'm my primary take on 
just about everything is what is it for you in your story and your journey? Any right. any choice that we make has risks and rewards. Mm-hmm. Oh, my yeah. my physical therapists were thrilled to get the vaccine, and they were in the very first group of people who got the vaccine, and they're so happy, and they are just so much more at ease now that yeah. they have done that. I am not rushing out to get the vaccine because I am not in the public purview. I am here at home all alone. So it's it's wonderful. That's how I've chosen to live. I I like it. Hey, I do also like going out to conferences and traveling. It's true. But meanwhile, since we are not doing that, right, and if I were, if we suddenly said, hey, let's have conferences again and go traveling, I would probably go and get the vaccine immediately because I would like (laughs) to do that that much, but it's not happening. All the conferences I've agreed to be in for 2021 are right here in front of my iPad. Oh, bless you. Yeah. 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 So that's that's the way it is. So I'm going to take advantage of that for now and let that dose go to somebody who really needs it more than I do. Right, right. Thank you for your wisdom on that, of course. There's, yeah. And what the fellow that you were listening to, I think it was Zach or somebody, a, do, a, Zach a doctor. Bush. Zach yeah, Bush. Zach Bush, virome. Yeah. I'm sorry? About the virome. Oh, yeah. I have virome. not listened to anything else Zach Bush has said. I have no idea if he is into, you know, painting Gecko's toes purple. I really have no idea. I heard him talk about the virome. And the talk was fantastic. Oh, wow. Yeah. Was that a, like a TED Talk or a podcast? It's at his website. Okay. I don't know how I happened upon it. It wasn't yeah. through his website. But then yeah. wanting, having like happened upon it, it was probably one of these many conferences I say that I signed up for. I probably saw it there. Um I then wanted to see it again, and I went to his website, Zach Bush, MD, and boom, there it is. There's a little thing you click on, and it says the virome. Oh, wow. Terrific. All right. Awesome. Yes. Yes. All right. Okay. Thank you so, so much. And soon we will see each other again. I think we were thanking the cider apples one of the times I was there. Beautiful. Uh, yes, yes, fall. we still have yeah, press writer every fall. Yes, yes, oh. yes. Okay. I love you so much, Susan. I love you forever. Thank you again. Green blessings. Good night. You're so wise. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, we have four callers that have raised their hands with questions. And our next caller is coming from the 919 area code. You are live on the air with Susan. Hi. How are you? I'm doing just fine. And you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I was calling in. I wanted to talk with you about Hawthorne Berry. Okay. And I just wanted to – I've heard you talk about it a few times before, Um but I don't know. I've just been curious, more curious about it, and I just wanted to, before I start, like, taking something, I just want to make sure I have all the information on it, and I just wanted to hear what 
you had to say about Hawthorne and the benefits of it and how often to take it and how to make yeah. it. Well, can I ask you a few questions? Would that be okay? Sure. Um, so do you um, know what Hawthorne is related to, what family it's in, what what their, what its sister plants are? Actually, no, I don't. Okay, well, that I find that to be a really good place to start if I okay. want to know how safe an herb is. So Hawthorne is in the apple family or the rose family. And it is related to apples and roses and peaches and cherries and plums and almonds and strawberries and blackberries and raspberries. So how does that make you feel and think about Hawthorne? Uh, a fruit, a berry, um, sweet. Yeah, it's a fruit. It's a berry, exactly. Hawthorne, berry. Delicious. <laughs> Delicious, right. So if I were to call you and say, um, what's a safe dose of applesauce? However much you want. <laughs> how, how much strawberry jam is it okay to put on my toast? However much you want. There you go. You have answered your question However about Hawthorne. Yeah. <laughs> the dose is, is it... however much you want. Okay. Right. I, for convenience, tincture dried hawthorn berries. I don't live in a place where hawthorn grows abundantly. There's one hawthorn tree that I know of in about 300 acres. If I widen that to about 1,000 acres, I know of two hawthorn trees. <laughs> and then I'm going to have to count wow. the one that I planted that Eagle Fund gave me and make that three. But that's not, that's not like the hawthorn that I see in the Pacific Northwest where it lines the roadsides mm. or in places like uh, the countryside in Germany and France where it's hedgerows, where it's hawth hawthorn everywhere, flowers and leaves and berries, all of it uh, wonderfully medicinal, as is, in fact, every part of the rose family. It's one of those families in which um, if there's any problem at all in the family, they keep it hidden. It's true that rose seeds can kill you and apple seeds can kill you. Mm -hmm. and, and the almond-like thing in the peach can kill you. They're all poisonous, but you've taken off a lot of them. But nonetheless, we can, we all, so we all are consider them, you know, absolutely safe to eat as we wish. So, you know, in there's a, a great jar of fresh hawthorne vinegar sitting in my kitchen um, that was sent to me from someone who lives where there's lots of Hawthorne. I look forward to using that. That sounds exciting. I personally haven't found a Hawthorne tree. Um, so you'll use the <laughs> dried berries. This says Hawthorne vinegar, Crataegus species in apple cider vinegar for Susan made 1118 nourish wholeness. So pretty. 
dried hawthorn berries is best for tincture. Well, not best, but if if you can't get the fresh. If you can't get the fresh, then use the dried. I fill the jar about a third full of the dried berries, and then all the way to the top of 100-proof vodka. Give it a good shake every day for the first three or four days. Make sure that all the berries get wet. And technically, it's ready to use in six weeks, but I don't really think it's got, like, it's full oompa-pa until about a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, but, cool. Good to know. but if you know, I, I if you're just starting, then you just you know you start at six weeks, and add, don't. What I'm saying is don't, like strain off all the alcohol. Just take out the first dosage bottle and let it sit. And let it continue to sit. Let those berries okay. sit there, and especially when you're starting, if you think you're going to be taking something like Hawthorne berry tincture as a regular tonic, then six to eight weeks after you start the first batch of it, do second batch. Okay. And then third batch. And then every time, you know, once you've get gone a year and you've made three or four batches of it, then every time you empty a jar, you make another one. And that way you're always easily a year ahead. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Takes a little while and, to get um, up to eat on it, but that's okay. Don't worry about it. What about is the... Infusion of Hawthorne? Um, Absolutely. Hawthorne berry infusion is lovely. And Hawthorne leaf and flower is also available. You can make infusion of that. I had an infusion of Hawthorne leaf and flower that Eagle Song made from very astringent local Hawthorne. As a matter of fact, I could not speak for about 20 minutes after taking a sip of it. It was so astringent. (laughs) So there are different characteristics, for instance, in the berries, as in just about everything, in that family, there's pectin. Mm -hmm. And pectin has its own healing qualities. And there isn't any pectin in the leaf and the flower. Okay. But the leaf and the flower probably have more polyphenols than the berries do. And polyphenols are really strong antioxidant, but the berries have anthocyanins, which are also really powerful antioxidants. So it's, you know, it's not like a clear, um, this one is better than the other one. If you have a desire for one over the other, that's fine. Okay. Well, good. Um, I guess I was also curious, like, I know it's, I've heard and I've read a little bit about it, how it's really good for your heart. Um, that's something that helps like with like anxiety or nervousness or, like, shortness of breath? Hawthorne is considered to be a classic adaptogen. And adaptogens are herbs that are non-harmful at any dose. Adaptogens are herbs that normalize. They neither stimulate nor state. And adaptogens are herbs that increase functional capacity across a wide scale of parameters. They increase endurance, they increase mental focus, they increase longevity, they increase eyesight, they increase organ functioning, they increase breathing. All right. So Hawthorne as a classic adaptogen is specifically 
a cardiac tonic, but it has effects throughout the entire body because the heart touches in to every part of the body. And Mm -hmm. consistent use encourages the heart to be able to maximize its muscular capacity. Again, it's not a stimulant. It's very reliable in lowering high blood pressure, but if someone is taking a medication that causes their blood pressure to be low, Hawthorne does not further lower blood pressure. Again, it normalizes. It will raise blood pressure in those instances. Okay. So David Hoffman talks about using Hawthorne for people with um, a distal neuropathy, pain in their fingers and their toes, often from diabetes, because the Hawthorne so strengthens the heart that it increases that peripheral blood flow and that it helps forestall diabetic blindness again because it has a healthy impact on the capillaries of the eyes. I talk about this because I believe that I can infer from that that it would also increase the health and the viability of capillaries all over the body, if it's going to do it in the fingers and the toes and the eyes, um, which are the hardest sites to get to, that I'm sure that it would do it in nearby sites like around the heart and the lungs. And women especially tend to have heart attacks because of problems with the capillaries, not Mm -hmm. problems with the large blood vessels. So I further believe that Hawthorne is an exceptionally healthy choice for women. And Paul Bergner says that Hawthorne is the herb that nourishes the spiritual heart. He's a Sufi master. Well, I'm excited to get to know her. All right. (laughs) Thank you very much. You're welcome. Good blessings. Green blessing. Okay, we have one person that has their hand raised at this time, and it looks like they are calling in from Skype. So I'm going to open the line for you. If you are calling in from the computer or Skype, you are live online with Susan. Hello, Susan. How are you? Hi. I'm well, Hello. and you? Lovely. Thank you so much. I spoke with you in December um, concerning a uh, condition of cataracts, and you advised me to start cooking my vegetables versus only having them raw, which I have done. And also, you made mention of the fact that I should possibly analyze if there's something in my life that I'm not wanting to see that may be contributing to that. And I can say that cooking the vegetables, also adding egg into my diet as well, I have actually seen an improvement, I'm happy to say. Uh, The cataract is still there, but nothing has 
gotten worse, and I have gotten my sight a little bit better. So that influx of vitamin A and the cooked vegetables that you recommended, I'm, I'm of the opinion that did make the difference. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's always astonishing to me that so many people seem to have gotten it so wrong that somehow cooking destroys the vitamins when, in fact, it enhances them and makes mm-hmm. them bioavailable. Mm-hmm. And also the um, the water that I cook the veggie in, instead of just tossing that out, I keep that and later on heat it up and sort of sip on that as a as a light broth. Good for you. What an excellent thing to do. Yeah, I thought, you know, this is just perfectly good water and it's just vegetables <laughs> I've been cooking. Why toss it? So I just put it in the freezer and, you know, melt it and and put my feet up around the heater. <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you so much. And oh, the hawthorn berries that you mentioned with your previous caller, I need to try that because you made mention of the fact uh, that it seems to be an all-around good thing for the capillaries and the, the eyesight as well. Yes. So, uh, yes, in the same way yeah. that goji berries are considered to be so excellent for the eyesight. All of those uh, berries, blueberries too, right? All oh, of the uh, flavonoid-rich berries. Yum, yum. I didn't realize how much I missed egg. It's been forever since I've actually allowed myself to have egg, but once I had it, it was just absolutely delicious. So thank you for putting me back in with a with a good egg from time to time. You are so welcome, and this is what I hear from everyone who says, oh, my goodness, it's been so long since I've drunk milk, eaten meat, had an egg, had some butter, and wow, once I got through the mental uh uh-oh of doing it, my body went at last. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for reassuring me. Oh, to be sure, to be sure. Yeah. And lastly, I just want to say I look forward to um, being on the virtual uh, herbal conference that you're having. I believe that's in the month of May, if I'm not mistaken. Um, at Linda Conroy's Midwest Women's Herbal Conference. I think that's correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, look forward to um, seeing you there, albeit virtually. Yes, and I was at Eagle Sun's birthday today, her virtual birthday, and she has Aww. a wonderful... Um, Herb Ally Women's Group going there year round, so you don't. She says you don't have to wait for the conference. The conference is all the time now. Fantastic! I must look into that. But in the meantime, thank you so much for the advice. Uh, it worked lovely, and uh, if I may say, green blessings to you. Green blessings right back at you. Good night. Good night. Okay, we have had another caller that has raised their hand with a question. And if there are other callers on the line that have a question, I'd like to remind you to please press 1. Our next caller is calling from the 203 area code. You are live on the line with Susan. Hi, Susan. Thank you. Yes. My name is Pat. I actually have I had one question, but now I have two from listening 
to you on the show. Okay. Um, I watched your video recently about making the elderberry tincture. I've always done it in honey, and and you have it in um, alcohol. So I did that this year, and I noticed in the video you keep the berries in the bottle. Is that true? You never, um, is the word decant? That's correct. So uh, that's neat. That's an interesting idea. It's something that I wouldn't have thought of. And why do you keep the berries in the bottle? Um, probably because I'm lazy. Okay. But, I think it's, but it's, also yeah. because why not? Yeah, why not? That's right. I thought it was a neat idea, and, and I'm used to, you know, decanting or whatever the word is. So it, that caught my attention. And... Um, and when I said to the woman before with the hawthorn, said, I don't think it really, like, hits its stride until it's a year old. That's how I found that out, by just leaving the stuff together. You don't think it gets destroyed until it's a year old? What do you mean? I don't think it hits its stride. The, the dried berry tincture is not really doing its stuff until it's been making for a year. Oh, cool. Okay. And you, yeah, and how did I find that out? By letting it sit for that long. Oh, neat. Longer. Great. And it doesn't get any better. It gets better and better and better up to a year. And then it doesn't get worse, but it doesn't get any better. Okay. And then I wasn't, because I've never done it this way before, how much would one take? Of Hawthorne. No, okay. of the elderberry. Of the elderberry. For what purpose? For preventative and if I do start to get sick or flu. Elder being a berry. Elderberry. Considered to be pretty harmless. Okay. So if you wanted to take whatever amount on a daily basis, that would count as preventative. Okay. okay. It could be anywhere from five drops to a dropper full. Okay. Great. If you felt that you needed to use it to counter a viral infection, then you would increase both the amount and the frequency of the dose. Okay. So if you'd been take, taking 10 drops, you might start taking a dropper full, which is 25 drops. If you've been taking it once a day, you might start taking it three times a day. Okay, wonderful. Right. Thank you. You're welcome. Good question. And speaking of Hawthorne Berry, yes. um, I was starting to get interested in that um, earlier on in the year, um, trying to sort of figure out what was going on with me. And then in August, I had a stroke. I'm 67. And um, I really only had one symptom, and it was questionable if I was even having a stroke. My sister's in cardiology, so we were on the phone, and she basically said, everything seems fine except for that one thing. If you still have symptoms in an hour, go to the emergency room. And my dog, who's a hound, who doesn't get up for anything other than to get into another chair or bed or garbage, <laughs> sat up in front of me and barked and barked and barked. So he told me, get to the hospital, and I did, and I was having a stroke. I basically 
you know, I went through all the physical tests and everything really well. They have labeled me as a certain kind of stroke. They don't know what kind it is. They even asked me to be in a research study, and I, all three of them I failed, which is really good. It means I didn't qualify for the kind of stroke they thought I might have again and would want me on medication. Um, I think I'm basically doing well, but it was interesting that you talked about capillaries. I've been really trying to understand why this happened. My, um, the nurse that treated me felt that it was years of mis, uh, uh, the doctor giving me the wrong medication for high blood pressure. Long story short, sounds like Hawthornberry would be a really good thing for me. I've been doing lecithin and magnesium malate. Um, and my only gripe against either one of those things is that they're drugs. Lecithin is? Lecithin is a uh, It's actually... It is granules, have, isn't it? Lecithin yeah. is not granules. Lecithin is a sludge-like material that's left over after the chemical extraction of soy oil, which wow. is then bleached and dried and granulated, and that's what you're eating. Okay. It's Doesn't drug. sound so great. It's a drug. It's not a food. Yeah. And yeah. you are taking, any time you take a mineral, you're taking one out of hundreds of forms of minerals when you're drinking nourishing herbal infusion. And we say it has this much calcium. Mm, it has to be understood that that calcium is in the form of many different forms of calcium. Yes. And our bodies are designed to respond to orchestras. To, a, to what? To, to, our bodies are designed to respond to orchestras, not to soloists. Okay. okay. So when you take a mineral and just take one form of it, that's a soloist. When you drink a nourishing herbal infusion, you're going to get that mineral, but you're going to get the whole symphony because you're not going to get just one form of it. You're going to get a lot of different forms of it. Okay. That's interesting. Do you know what I mean by different forms of, of a mineral? Yes. Yeah. I do. Yeah, like the calcium that's in orange juice is different than the calcium that's in yogurt, right? Yes, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's why we don't want to take pills of anything because we can't get the symphony in a pill. Wow. Hmm. I worked for quite a while in the health food industry, and I had good friends who worked in the supplement industry. And let me tell you, it is an industry. Yes. And it's not about health interesting you know it's just in the past month or so that's caught my attention when i read people saying you know they don't take supplements blah 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 um it's just starting to catch my attention so um this is kind of an odd question my dog who's 12 and has a heart murmur and urine crystals and arthritis i've just purchased supplements is this not a good thing for animals as well Well, you just purchased them, so I don't know, you know, what to say. Uh, well, too, I have an open because again, I didn't. Again, the innate 
structure of a multicellular being, like a dog or a human being, is designed to co-regulate with the things that it ingests. And those things, through our co-evolution, are complex things found in groups, not as soloists. Okay. Okay. So So if what you're giving your dog is nutritional yeast, I do not find that to be a particularly healthy food for animals. And there is a big surge of push of nutritional yeast for animals at the present time. Okay. And if you're giving your dog, again, single nutrients, it would be better to feed your dog yogurt, feed your dog some nourishing herbal infusions mixed with kibble. Okay. Yeah, I cook for him. He gets kefir, so on and so on. Okay, so I have your book from years and years and years ago, I think perhaps your first one, with talking about oat straw and nettle and so on. What do you have a book since then that would help me with all that we've just talked about to have a better understanding or more of an understanding? Abundantly well. Say again? Abundantly well. The seven medicines in which I talk about supplements as drugs and why they're drugs in which I talk about food and how we are designed to be nourished. Okay. So that's abundantly well. Wonderful. Okay. It's abundantly well, seven medicines, so that's A-W-S-M. We just call it awesome for short. Okay. Okay. Thank thank you. I will look for it. Thank you, Susan. You're welcome. Great blessings. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy in bulk. Okay, we've had two more callers. Uh, press one to let me know they have a question. And our next caller is coming from the 313 area code. You are live on the air with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Zara. I'm sorry, it's Zara. Hi. Yes, it's Zara. Zara. Okay, now I recognize your voice. <laughs> So I have a question about Violet. Okay, can I thank um, you first for all the wonderful things you sent me? Yes. You sent me so many things. For sure, I'm going to leave a bunch out when I thank you. But let's start here in the bathroom. In the bathroom, there is a little bag, and it has a big red heart stenciled on it. And right next to that is a package that says Millifolium Collective Self-Love Soap. And next to that is a little bag that says Millifolium Collective Self-Love Scrub. And in the bag is Hypericum Honey and White Pine Apple Cider Vinegar, which I keep hidden in the bag because, first of all, the bottle is too beautiful. If anybody saw it, they would just 
put it in their pocket and go off with it helplessly. They wouldn't be able to stop themselves because it's a gorgeous bottle. And should they actually taste it, they would definitely never give it back to me. Sitting right beside that is Millifolium Collective Black Lava Mouthwash. I have been using this every day to cleanse the skin around my stomach. And it is so good. And today for the first time, because I had eaten some fish and I was going somewhere, I rinsed my mouth with it. Oh, my gosh. Now I see why you call it lava. I was spitting like a volcano. And a little roll-on of hypericum oil, which my winter lips say, honey, give it to me, yes. (laughs) Can you believe that I got hypericum into so many things? It's amazing. What a great job. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Now, go on with your question. Now that I have gone on about how delighted I am by all the things you sent me, that, that is not all of them, but that's just what I'm looking at right here in the bathroom. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying them, Susan. Um, Okay, so my question tonight was about um, violet, because this year I made a violet root tincture. And I haven't been able to find much information about it, except for in the green book, there's a little snippet. Um, But it's so mucilaginous that I can't imagine, like, taking it internally. So I thought that it would be um, a good to be used as a liniment. But I just wanted to see um, if you could tell me a little bit more about its actions. That feels so right to me, what you're saying. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of letting that soak into the skin. What I was taught was violet, very pretty, violet leaves, good to eat, violet leaves, good for tea, good for infusion, violet flowers, good to eat, good for honey, good for vinegar, good to crystallize with sugar and fancy things up. Mm-hmm. But leave the root alone. Mm-hmm. That, don't mess with the root. The root's a whole different thing. The violet is sweet and the root is not, is what one of my teachers said. Yes. So I, agree, worked, I agree with you on not taking it internally. Um, yeah. And I think it's it's really worthwhile trying out what happens when you put it on externally. I don't think that whatever it is that we're being warned off against in the root is going to be um, absorbed in harmful quantities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so mucilaginous that it's like a thick, it's very thick tincture. It's like a comfrey root tincture. It's very, very wow. slimy. It's like pure slime. so Uh, i'm wondering if it would have the same type of like qualities for your skin possibly as 
like, say, the flowers or the leaves, because the leaves are also very mucilaginous. Very mucilaginous, absolutely. And those mucilages have just pretty consistent effects. Mm-hmm. Again, and it, again, interesting how a, a, an evening gives rise to themes. It's probably time for some pharmacognosy. What is it that we're being warned against in the violet root? Mm-hmm. And at what levels does it become problematic? Yeah. Okay, well... Those are things I'm, that... Those are things I know you can find out. Yeah. Because you well, are good at finding out things. I'm going to keep experimenting with my liniments because I've got a giant bottle of aloe vera gel and I've just been mixing all sorts of tinctures and seeing how they do. <laughs> so okay. I'm going to okay. make a violet one. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Susan. Thanks for your call. Love you, Zara. Love you, too. Good night. Good night. Okay, and it looks like it is 9 o'clock. It is exactly 9 o'clock, and I am thrilled to welcome Dr. Greg Hammer, MD, a pediatric intensive care physician pediatric anesthesiologist and professor at Stanford University Medical Center. Greg Hammer is a member of the Stanford WellMD Initiative and the Wellness Committee for the American Society of Anesthesiologists. Dr. Hammer is currently the chair of the Physician Wellness Task Force for the California Society of Anesthesiologists. He has been a visiting professor and lecturer on wellness at institutions worldwide, and he teaches G-A-I-N to medical students, residents, and fellows at Stanford. Dr. Hammer's clinical focus is in pediatric cardiac anesthesia and pediatric critical care medicine. His research is in developmental pharmacology and immunology, and he has an active laboratory with multiple ongoing studies in these areas. Dr. Hammer has published widely on topics related to pharmacology and perioperative care of children undergoing cardiac and thoracic procedures as well as organ transplantation. Dr. Hammer is a health enthusiast and a meditator utilizing a non-duality and mindfulness-based approach, including the G-A-I-N method. And he is the author of G-A-I-N Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hammer. Thank you so much. It's really great to be with you. And you as well. I am so overjoyed to know that you are out there doing the things that you do. And I love that um, you just, you know, list them out. 
you know, acting prudently isn't easy, you say, but you can eat healthy, nourishing foods, get plenty of sleep, you can exercise, you can stay connected, you can increase resilience by committing to a simple five-minute daily mindfulness practice, and you can use the GAIN method. So let's start by my telling you that I'm very grateful for your being here, because I agree with you, starting with gratitude makes everything else better. Well, you know, gratitude is central to most happiness practices, let's call them. You can be poor and happy, you can be uh, deaf or blind and happy, but you won't see a person who's happy who's not grateful. So no matter how bad things seem to be, we can all be grateful for what we have. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's the start of, I think, the four pillars of resilience and happiness. I think it starts with gratitude. How do you help people find gratitude when the medical establishment seems so intent on throwing up Scary things. I don't know if you heard the woman that I was talking to about half an hour ago, um, whose physician, you know, told her there was a 25 to 40 percent chance that her condition would become cancer. And I said, well, that means there's a 60 to 75 percent chance it won't. Yeah. And also, uh, if it were to become a malignancy, she would have access to good medical care in all likelihood. I mean, compared to most places in the world, when we have a serious medical condition, we do have access to good care. Most of us do. I mean, there are exceptions to that. But I will tell you that diagnosed with a blood cancer uh, probably about eight years ago, I was feeling extremely fatigued and had swollen lymph nodes and finally went to have it checked out, and I was eventually diagnosed with a condition called chronic lymphocytic leukemia, which is the most common blood malignancy in adults, and I felt, I just was really fatigued. I felt terrible, and uh, I was fortunate enough to get into a clinical trial with a new immunotherapy drug, and it, within a very short period of time, uh, caused my lymph nodes to melt away and My energy level went way up, and here I am all these years later still taking a pill every morning, and uh, there's no evidence of cancer in my blood anymore, but I'm I'm continuing to take that pill just in case. And I feel tremendous. I feel like I'm 20 years younger than my chronologic age. So that's in my gratitude meditation every day. And so if somebody has a condition that may be precancerous, I would counsel them to say, well, you – are fortunate that it's not already cancerous. And also, let's not forget that in all likelihood, you have access to some of the best care in the world. So I I think there's always uh, a bright side to things, as bad as they may seem. And I I would actually, as many deaths as we've had, as tragic as this pandemic has been, we have a lot of advantages compared to our forebears 100-plus years ago in 1918 when the influenza pandemic was, just a huge nightmare in the United States and elsewhere. And so 
you know, we can talk about that, but I think as bad as things are with the pandemic, we have a lot of advantages and things we should be grateful for, including the ability to be in touch with people that we love, if not physically, then virtually. So true. My mentor, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, was very much into this as well. When terminal people would really complain to her, she would tell them to go and volunteer on the children's cancer ward and then come back and talk to her. <laughs> good advice. Very good right. advice. Right. Do you, as a pediatric uh, physician, you know, would, would really feel that because it's, you know, it's one thing to work with adults, but to, to, um, to work with children um, takes a rare kind of person. What brought you into pediatric um, and not just pediatric care, but organ transplants and, and the kind of very um, specialized medicine that you're doing? I got into pediatrics because when I was in medical school and doing my rotations through the various specialties, I felt a kinship with people that worked with children. Um, it wasn't at, at the time that I was just so enamored with the children. It was more that uh, I felt a kinship with the other physicians who were working with children, and they had certain characteristics that I admired and, and embraced myself, and one of them is not taking themselves too seriously. I think it's hard when you work with kids to take yourself too seriously and to be very self-centered or egocentric. Um, it's so obvious that the kids are what's important. I mean, for everybody who has children, you know, I don't have to tell them that. Um, it's just kind of staring at us. And so I felt a kinship with people. I, I, I never had a lot of patience for people who were very um, egocentric and, and, and thought really largely of themselves. And so that's why I went into pediatrics. And then I just found out that I like being on the firing line. I like things coming at me hot and heavy and making decisions and interventions that beget rapid responses as opposed to tweaking a medication and seeing the patient back in my office in two months. So when I had some exposure to the intensive care unit and a couple of pediatric anesthesiologists who were working in the intensive care unit, which it's a, it's a very logical combination, anesthesia and critical care, um, I just became enamored with it and decided that's what I want to do. And so I've never looked back, and I'm very, very grateful for the career that I've had. I brought myself to tears of gratitude thinking about the anesthesiologists who took care of me for the 17 hours of my surgery and the 13 hours of my induced coma. Wow. So you've been through quite a lot yourself. And, you know, the, the, the human effort that it took to bring me out this side with every neuron in my brain firing just fine. Yeah, well, I think, you know, again, I think we both have something for which to be very grateful when it comes to our health. And, you know, that is the first thing that I think of when I do my gain meditation every morning is how grateful I am for this day. And when you think about it, it really beats the alternative. And it's kind of set, it's set <laughs> yes, I told, myself, I told myself that very many times. I said the alternative is eating dirt. So just grin and bear it. <laughs> well, as my good friend Doug would say, you know, you're on the right side of the grass. That's right. And that's, 
<laughs> That's something for which to be grateful. You've got another day. Don't waste it. Let's be grateful for it. And, you know, you mentioned working with sick, critically ill children. Uh, there are a lot of those in my practice, either kids who have very severe congenital heart disease that really can't be repaired. It's just palliated, and, and their lifespan will be shortened. And having patients in the intensive care unit who probably won't survive, and if they do, they'll have substantial disability, it uh, brings about the A in game, which is acceptance. And I think it's so vital for us to, uh, as the serenity prayer would have it, we need to discern between what we can change and what we cannot change. And we really need to accept things we cannot change. And that seems like a slam dunk. It's remarkable how much mental energy and how much time we spend resisting things when we should be accepting them. And uh, it's the way we look at the world. And, you know, in my own case, uh, and if, if anybody reads my book, they'll find this out in the, in the first chapter, I lost my beloved boy three years ago at the age of 29. And so that's the first thing that I think about when it comes to acceptance during my meditation every morning um, is something that I couldn't prevent and I couldn't change. And um, there's no sense trying to suppress it or suppress my feelings, but rather during the gain meditation, we, we sit and we are in touch with our breath, of course, which is always accessible to us. And imagine our chest opening and our heart opening, and we bring closer those things which represent pain and suffering in our lives that we cannot change. And we embrace those rather than resist them. And, you know, I have a formula in the book, which is that Suffering equals pain times resistance. And so we have a painful experience. It's okay just to openly admit and, and describe it as painful. If we resist it rather than accept it, the suffering is magnified. And so we have control over the acceptance or resistance and therefore the, the degree of suffering. We don't have control over the pain. That we accept. That is so true, and I want to thank my remarkable teachers who also taught me that actually even in the pain I have choices. Absolutely. On my, on my, way, to that, on my way to that massive surgery, Dr. Hammer, I lived with a uh, vaginal rectal fistula for nine months. Yeah. Awful. I don't have to tell you how painful that was. No, I can only imagine. I, I would not wish it on my absolute worst enemy, but I was very, very, very resistant to surgery. Well, and you know, most of us, as we get older, we have, like, I don't know who, who, who to quote, but somebody wise said, we all have something. We all and have as something. we get older, we, we all have conditions, you know. We, things don't heal as well as they did when we were younger and just the uh, accrual of time represents the opportunity for mishaps and broken bones and organs not working as well as they used to and, and a whole uh, palette of physical ailments that, you know, we encounter as we get older. Um, and again, you know, it's, it's how you approach this. Um, the acceptance that you're talking about there. Is it, possible, is it 
possible to accept that and what right what part of that can we actually change i you know i have kicked myself figuratively around the block because i spent very close time with a dear friend of mine and we had a very difficult time together because she didn't seem to see well or hear well or remember well and it was very disappointing to both of us and we actually kind of tried to accept that as her getting older and it wasn't until a year later when the cancer was metastasized all over her body that we realized what had actually been going on yeah terrible but you know, that's you know, and it was just like, oh, you know, you, yes, it's good to accept, but but even within the acceptance, sometimes you also need to pinch yourself and say, really, really, is this acceptable? Because sometimes, well, we, sometimes, sometimes we, we, we quit yeah, too soon. Sorry. Sometimes we don't ask that deeper question. I certainly, you know, only wound up in surgery because an anthroposophic physician, you know, really pushed me on it and wouldn't accept. My no. So I I agree with you. You know, it's it's very important to accept, but it's also um, good to keep checking up on yourself in terms of that um, acceptance. And I guess that's where intention comes in, huh? Exactly. Yes, and, and we have the ability to rewire our brains. I think that we all have a negativity bias. We tend to remember negative experiences and we tend to forget the positive experiences. And it's the way our brains are wired. I think it probably has to do with our ancestors who were in a situation that was threatening most of the time. There was always a possibility that there was a saber-toothed tiger lurking right outside the mouth of our cave, for example. Um, But most of us don't live under constant threat any longer, and yet our brains still continue to operate in this fashion. We have a negativity bias. And the second thing I think we need to recognize is that we have an obsession with the past and the future. It's very difficult for us to settle on the present moment. The good news is that our brains remain malleable or plastic throughout our lives. We don't have a fixed way of thinking once we turn 30, as, as, as I was taught when I was young. We still, at the age of 40, 50, 60, 70, we have the ability to rewire the way our brains work. And we need to do that purposefully with intention. I think um, John Kabat-Zinn, uh, who's a, really the father of mindfulness practice, definition of mindfulness was being aware in the present moment, on purpose, non-judgmentally. So I think you have the gain element contained within that definition of mindfulness. And um, on purpose means with intention. So we have to really think about how we want to live our lives. And um, the good news is that we can really change the way we think. A great example of that is something called Three Good Things, which is a project out of Duke University where they've enrolled tens of thousands of individuals and shown that in a scientific manner that simply thinking of three good things that happen during the day before we go to sleep makes us sleep better and makes us happier. And the fact is that we, because of our negativity bias, often think of things that didn't go well during the day 
as we're getting ready to go to sleep. And if we use our intention, we can do a 180-degree pivot and think of things that did go well. So, for example, when I go to sleep tonight, when I'm getting ready to go to sleep, as I'm turning down the bed, it doesn't take any time, I will think of three good things that happened to me during the day. And, and this interview with you will be one of them. Um, you know, the opportunity to talk to you and your listeners is a good thing. And um, I had a great bike ride, which is another good thing. And, you know, I had a wonderful experience with colleagues at work today. And there are three good things. And, and they've shown through this process, through this study, that how simple that is. Uh, but yet this three good things practice can really over time change the way we think. And, and when people have been doing this practice daily for a month or two months, they generally look back and realize that they're, they're actually a bit happier and their sleep has improved. So we do have that capability through intention. We just have to identify how we want to think and how we want our experience to be manifest. Fifty years ago, if you said these things as an MD, you would have been frowned <laughs> I don't know if you're going to hear the very beginning of the show where I introduced you as the MD of the future who's right here in the present. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. And you know what I especially appreciate is that you're spreading this wellness message to the people who need it the most, the physicians. Absolutely. Well, that's how I got, uh, you know, I've always been uh, engaged in wellness activities on my own, but uh, because burnout in medicine is such a, a significant problem, uh, the group, the WellMD group at Stanford was formed, and I just sort of jumped on the bandwagon and joined. And, um, you know, just as we're discussing intention on a personal level, uh, as a group that is of physicians, we can, through purposefulness, make changes in the system working together that will improve the quality of our practice and reduce the incidence of burnout. We just have to identify what the drivers are and then which of those can be manipulated and, and therefore be purposeful about going about just that. And, and I think that it's an exciting time and it's uh, a very exciting process whereby uh, now I think on a nationwide basis, people who are in positions of authority are working so hard to reduce burnout in medicine, not just among physicians, but nurses, respiratory therapists, and other healthcare providers. Hooray. Yes. What a wonderful intention that we should heal our healers and keep them healthy and not expect them to abuse themselves. Intention gives us a kind of narrowness of focus that's very helpful for moving forward. But if we take that and apply it to others, it becomes judgment. And that becomes a problem then. So your N in gain is non-judgment. Could you yes. explain what you mean by that? 
Well, first of all, besides having a negativity bias and kind of an obsession in a, with maladaptive thoughts of the past and the future, um, which we can overcome through intention, our brains are also constantly comparing one thing to another in our environment and, and kind of straining to get our environment to conform to the way we want it to be. Uh, we compare ourselves to other people continuously. We see somebody who's good looking. We say, well, that person is better looking than I am, or that person's taller, or um, this is good, that is bad. And these constant judgments that our, our, our minds are rendering take a lot of energy and, and are exhausting. And we would be better off if we learn to see the world exactly as it is. We have had very little impact on the way the world is, most of us. And if we see it in a very neutral manner, it is what it is. We didn't create it. We're not going to change it. It is the way it is. If we see the world that way and stop making these constant judgments and comparisons, we can see ourselves in the same light. And I think the most difficult thing for many of us is to be non-judgmental of ourselves. So if we get engaged with our breath and we've, we've contemplated our gratitude, our acceptance, our intention, and we get to judgment and we see that we can view the world around us in a very objective and neutral manner, just look at things exactly as they are and look at ourselves exactly as we are. We are not good. We are not bad. We simply are the person that we are. I think this alleviates a tremendous amount of energy-consuming, non-productive activity that our brains are engaged in all the time. And um, I, th I think that non-judgment has made a huge difference for the way I interact with other people and, and the world around me. And I think it's a fundamental, you know, it's kind of the fourth pillar of resilience, if you will, and therefore happiness. So it's not so much a non-judgmentalness looking outwards as it is that judge that sits on our own heads. I think it's both. I think it is that we look at other people without judging them. And, um, you know, an example I give in my book is that I'm riding my bicycle to work, for which I'm grateful to be living on campus in such a beautiful campus as Stanford and I'm riding down uh, a narrow lane just enveloped in the canopy of, of branches and leaves above me and the sunlight filtering through. And as I look ahead of me on the path, there's a person walking in the middle of the path. And as I get closer, I see that they've got buds in their ears and they're looking at their screen and I start to form judgment. You know, why is the person on their screen? This is such a beautiful, natural environment. And why are they being inconsiderate and walking right in the middle of the path or in my way. And therefore they must be an inconsiderate person. And I catch myself starting to form these judgments. Again, our negativity bias and our judgmental nature contributing to these thoughts I'm having. And I catch myself. I thought, well, I just had my game meditation and I pledged to be non-judgmental of the first person I saw today. And I realize that and I get a laugh out of it and I think I drop the judgment. And as I pass the person on my bicycle, they look up at me and I look at them and I smile and they smile. 
and it, it transforms this sort of negative experience into a very positive experience simply by letting go of judgment of the other in this case. That's a lovely example. <laughs> yes. I, I have had such a good time talking to you that I have been negligent in asking you, do you want people to go to your website and find out more about um, Gain Without Pain, the happiness handbook? Absolutely, yes. My website is Greg Hammer, MD, all one word. No punctuation, lowercase, G-R-E-G-H-A-M-M-E-R-M-D.com. And there's lots of media on there. I think perhaps our chat will be on there at some point. Um, and there's a link to the book. Or one can go on Amazon and uh, just search uh, under books, Gain Without Pain, plus or minus my name, and, and they'll find the book. It's, it's written for healthcare providers, but I think um, – others outside of healthcare would enjoy reading it as well. You can pretty much assume that everybody who's listening to this show is some kind of healthcare provider, especially when we understand that 90% of the healthcare providers on this planet are unpaid women. <laughs> I see. Yeah, so that's a good, a good way of putting it. I appreciate that. And that's who's listening to you, and they are going to be really happy to work with what you have done is you have um, taken coal and turned it into a diamond for us. You've taken these very simple practices and brought them together in a way that makes them really acceptable and accessible to people so that they are, do not have to uh, worry about, oh, you know, yoga, oh, is there Hinduism involved? Oh, meditation, I don't know. This, no, <laughs> very, very easy. Be grateful accept what you can't change, have an intention, and send the judge on a vacation. Uh, Somewhere they will be very happy, but not in your head, not at the front of everything. What a fabulous plan. Gain without pain. We've come to the last couple of minutes of the show. I can certainly talk to you for much longer, but... All good things must come to an end, so I'm going to ask you, what would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's listening to you tonight, Dr. Greg Hammer? I would like everybody to understand that happiness is our true nature, and it's always accessible to us, just like our breath, and we need to exercise a, a practice, and I would recommend just a three-minute gain meditation every morning, and I think people will find that they can incorporate the elements of gain into their daily life beyond the three minutes, and I trust that they will be happier if they do that uh, over time, and, and that is our true nature. And so um, uh, it's what I wish for all of your listeners. Thank you so much. We should trade books. I don't know if you have a copy of my book, Abundantly Well, but I know that you would enjoy it. So let's see if our helpers can can get together and uh, change addresses so we can switch books. I'm going to ask my helper, you ask yours, and let's see if it happens. Thank you so much for being with us tonight, Dr. Greg 
Hammer, I talk about reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And I know that you are adding brilliant and strong threads to that cloak. Sarah Ellis, thank you once again for being here, being with us and for us, and for helping me spread green blessings. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Green blessings.